and welcome to None of Your Business Podcast, where we bring you inspiring storytelling from the heart. I'm your host, Robert Delude. Thank you for joining me today. Now let the show begin. Hey, what's up, guys? So we got Dr. Clean Mullen on and like a year ago or even maybe even longer we recorded and my laptop crashed and I lost so many interviews and other forms of content. Now we finally got her on. And what I love about Dr. Colleen Mullen is that she has experienced the things that she is helping people overcome. You know, she has a passion for overcoming trauma and helping people live their best life and being kind to yourself. So here we go. Uh, she has a lot of things going on, so be sure to go check her out on Instagram, Facebook, at Dr. Colleen Mullen, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast if this is your first time listening. Please go rate and review on Apple Podcast, and please share this on Spotify or whatever else. I know on Spotify and Apple, it's super simple to share it through the app to your Instagram or Facebook or whatever, guys. Text it to one friend. I appreciate you and I love you and thank you again so much for letting me be in your ears once again. Thank you. So uh, the amazing lady that I'm speaking to right now is Dr. Colleen Mullen. And we recorded, I don't even know how long ago. We were trying to figure that out before we press record. And in the mix of my laptops crashing and losing everything, we lost the original recording. So, Dr. Colleen Mullen, welcome to the None of Your Business podcast once again. I'm so happy to be back here with you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, it's, an honor it's been a long you. time. <laughs> It has. And, you know, let's let's talk about you. Uh, you got a lot of things going on. You got, you got a couple of podcasts. So who are you and what do you do? Okay. So um, the, uh, my doctorate's in psychology. I have a license with the ma uh, marriage and family therapist with my master's. Uh, I have a private practice in San Diego called Coaching Through Chaos, uh, which is based on my doctorate work. I'm happy to talk about that uh, in chaos theory. And um, I've been in my own practice since 2007. Uh, and I treat people with, um, I always say like the umbrella of um, trauma or pain, emotional pain. And then under that umbrella is very specifically, I treat um, uh, people who struggle with anxiety, depression, um, actual PTSD from the trauma, uh, conflictual relationships, you know, or, or just or relationship patterns. And I try to uh, help people unwind those, whether they are coming in together as a couple and uh, or they are getting in or out of a relationship. And people often come when they're getting into a relationship uh, because they've been in it a few months and they do have like a history of, you know, failed relationships. I often say though, that failing at a relationship means you're open to actually succeeding at one. So I don't look at those too much as failures. Like you, something happened where it ended and it probably should have. And so, um, I help them kind of unwind their vulnerability and figure out what is it are the triggers and things like that going into a relationship and then getting out, I help them look at the patterns that they've had. And then if they are back in the dating market, we even look at, you know, coaching them through some dating uh, situations where they learn, you know, what is it that is the toxic thing that they're attracted to so that they can weed it out. So, so it's professionally what I do. Um, I've got the podcast of coaching through chaos. It's been, uh, it's been around since 2015, uh, although there's not 10 million episodes because I kind of let life get in the way sometimes. I do it as a resource and it's not something that I get paid to do. So when life gets overwhelming, which I'll 
tell you about in a second, like things have to come and go. And the first thing that seems to get put on hiatus is the podcast. So, uh, but it is all evergreen content. I interview all sorts of experts on on how to manage the chaos in your life. I would say like, I'm gonna help you conquer the chaos. And so there is definitely 60 something episodes, all sorts of topics that deal with some of those things that I just mentioned in my professional life that I deal with, but lots of other things, self-confidence, recovery work. Oh, and that's the other part, uh, addictions. I don't think I said I work with people with addictions. That's my, that was a primary thread of my work for many, many years. Um, of course, that's the one I forget and, <laughs> <laughs> to mention. And um, so, uh, so I have that podcast and um, I have uh, also put out a book a couple of years ago that's called The 60 Day Plan for Embracing Your Inner Leader. And it's geared towards women and helping them become a better, like it's really about having the confidence to go after the life that you want. So it's not about being a leader in the corporate world necessarily, although it does help. I've gotten messages that someone or like women have said that they got new jobs because they read the book and did the exercises, but there is like a little workbook at the end of it that if they follow it, um, it will help them feel more empowered, more confident. They'll understand their obstacles and how to get past them. And it's on this nice timeline of 60 days. Um, mm. So there's that. Is that the book on your bookshelf right there? That is. Yeah, if we're doing video. So, um, oops. Gotcha. Okay. There you go. 60 day plan for embracing your inner leader. You can go ahead and get it on Amazon. Um, and don't mind the, I hate to say, don't mind the reviews about the editing. There's a better edited version coming out. I kind of rushed that one out, but the material's all really. I would say stellar because it came out of 20 years of working with my, my clients. But um, in any case, out of the 60 day plan, there's a course coming out about it, right? So I'm, I'm doing it as a course. Um, I don't know when that launch is gonna be, probably in a couple of months, I'd say probably November. And, um, and then leading up to it, we're gonna talk a little bit about, I guess my life history uh, and where I come to also, this is just like a book education that I have that helps yeah. me help. The people that I do actually lived a lot of things that helped me also be a really much better therapist than I probably would have been if I had a really nice hunky dory life. And um, but I am doing a uh, I'm expanding the personal story that's in the beginning of the book of my own life and going to do it as a podcast and just oh, kind really? of tell it um, tell it that way as a podcast series, hoping to help other women understand like they're not alone and you just because you come from like a shitty background you don't have to live that life you no. can overcome it and Absolutely. I'll talk about like what worked for me but it's really about telling the story that I never tell so I a couple different things yeah. one are you going to make a podcast series and and already a podcast you have because you got like the shrink to shrink whatever uh -huh. podcast also Okay, so Shrink to Shrink is kind of dead. We um, we haven't actually done that one in over a year. So that one kind of died with COVID. And, gotcha, okay. Um, but that's fun too. So Shrink to Shrink, we did for a couple of years, myself and another therapist. We took one movie a month and we would play the scene and then um, kind of psychobabble about it. And we say we teach about life and love through one movie a month. And so we did that. Um, we talk about getting it back together, but we're at the point where you also can't like, we we're kind of stretching what we we're allowed to do. So we're using real audio of movie clips in the show and you're really not supposed to do that. So we kind of figured we got as far as we could probably go before, you know, someone would notice it. So mm -hmm. it, it did get put, I think to rest for good, but there's that, but no, this is gonna be a new podcast. So uh, Coaching Through Chaos got put on hiatus due to some, you know, life and um, other plans were going on in March. I hope to relaunch eh, probably in September on that, but but the 60-day plan, um, I, I actually don't even know what I'm going to be calling it yet, but it has to be something that goes with the 60-day plan, but it's really going to be um, 
a story that's really relatable for a lot of people, I think. And um, that will be a separate podcast series. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I like and I will that. definitely update you on that. And we can maybe throw it in the show notes later on. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. Let me know. And hopefully this recording doesn't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> say, I can record it on my end too. <laughs> right. Oh, can I? Yes, I guess I can. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Now let's talk about trauma. Mm-hmm. Everyone, not everyone. It's like we're post COVID. I guess you're still living in California. So I don't know what, are you guys like leaving? Can you, is it still in lockdown there? Are people still wearing yeah. masks? Uh, the masks are back on for many of us because the the um, Delta is like running rampant and the hospitals are getting uh, a bit full up again. Uh, but, uh, and I personally, probably 10% of my clients last week who were vaccinated, isolated pretty much, you know, just started venturing back out into the social world. And we're in like the late twenties, early 30 range, um, had, uh, had COVID last week. And so it's like, oh, I think I'm going to pull, pull some of my, my no. group activities back just a little bit. Um, that is know, exactly got my this age. Far. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, it's you guys now. And so, uh, um, but, um, you know, but that's not stopping. I mean, I say that, but like, I was at a, like a fun little convention at a resort last week. Um, I wouldn't call it a convention. It was an excuse for people to have some fun. And, um, uh, you know, uh, but we are getting more conscious of putting our masks back on. There's no mandates. There's no lockdowns right now. I believe school is, um, I'm kind of disconnected from that world, but I believe though the colleges are definitely still remote. So I don't know how it is gotcha, in the rest gotcha. of the country gotcha. now about school, but yeah. Okay. yeah. Las Vegas, they just put their mask mandate back on. Yeah. Which well, I was surprised. So I wasn't sure if California, but anyways, trauma. So yeah, right. We had the, a whole country that got traumatized, essentially, yeah. and so it, it were re- potentially registered as trauma a year yeah. ago in March, right? Yeah. And being home alone, there's probably lots, lots of, th- I know, like, I got stuck in my head a lot last year, mm. a lot. So yeah. if somebody was like gonna, you know, want to start working on their trauma, or there might be like some signs like, hey, there's some trauma here. Like, I didn't know that like I needed to work on trauma. Like I probably did, but it like I'm in recovery. So like just trying to heal all that stuff up. So for somebody who's not like in recovery from drugs and alcohol, like what are some like three things that you could like give to someone if they like wanted to like work on their trauma? Like what should they okay. be looking for? Okay. I would definitely tell that person. And, and that was good that you kind of made a distinction. Like it's not just the people who get lost in addictions that have trauma. Lots of people have trauma and don't, they become, the, they, they go down the straight narrow path or they just kind of don't have that addiction propensity. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't come away that of coping that maybe they get lost in, but um, what can they do? Really importantly is start, you know, voicing it, talk, you know, get, then now is the time to get a counselor. You can see somebody remotely. There are lots of ways to see somebody. So talking about it is really one of those things that does help heal. And the reason it helps heal is because you've been carrying it around. It's bottled up. It's stored somewhere in your body. And I mean, I've worked with people who come in at like 28, 30, 40, 55, and have never spoken of what happened to them. And when they start just letting it out and they like kind of say, here, therapist, you can hold it for me and help guide me or help, you know, reflect back to me uh, that this is not something that it caused, not mm-hmm. something that they could have prevented, whatever, it gives them strength, right? And then we look at how do you empower yourself, right? Yeah. So, okay, so one of them is talking to a professional. And I say a licensed therapist as opposed to a coach because we are trained to help trauma. Yeah, and a, a coach, unless they have the master's, doctorate, whatever in psychology and they've given up the license, um, don't have that training, right? Mm-hmm. They're going, often coaches are going from, I've been there, done that, I can help you. And that is not the model that works. 
um, it actually can sabotage a person. So my own pet peeve. So um, what else can they do if they're not if they're not ready or they haven't talked to somebody, right? What else can they do? Number one, think about how much they put others first because people who live with trauma often put themselves behind everybody else and everybody else's needs that they are in contact with, right? Start looking at how do you put yourself first when you wake up in the morning? Um, and what would it take for you to enact that, right? So what would um, that look like? Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's the, the, the cliche thing of like when you're on the plane and they say, put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your kid because the yeah. parent's instinct is gonna be, oh my God, I gotta save my kid. But right. by the time you're breathing that stuff, you can't effectively help your kid because you've adjusted too much or you're gonna yeah. have repercussions later. So how does that look in, in normal life that isn't crashing in a plane um, is, Think about what do you want your day to look like? You wake up in the morning and as you give yourself, you know, five, 10 minutes, at, if you are one of those people who rush through the morning just to kind of get through things, um, slow it down just a little bit and think, what do I want my day to look like? Is there something that you either need to do or want to do um, or had thought, well, if I can get the time today, I'll fit it in. Think about that. And then think about all the other things that might be pulling at you, whether it is your job, whether it's your partner, your kids, whoever, like family members, you know, um, people who have trauma have a tendency, like I said, to kind of um, put others first and how that looks is, I don't want to call it um, codependency, but that's a term that's thrown around a lot. But what that means is you just kind of like the caretaker. And I have that in me and I, we can talk a little bit about that if you want, but um, the, the caretaker doesn't notice that they're running around crazy doing things for other people. And then they end up resenting the people that they love and they end up going, okay, yeah. where, do, where do I fit? Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that so much. So what you're telling me is like, be intentional with your time. Putting yourself first putting yourself it's more first. so than intentional because they'll say i'm intentional i took care of my mother sister father partner whoever. Uh, okay. okay i did what i said i was going to do i'm a stand-up person is the kind of like attitude you'll get for that but no it's about how do you put yourself first and say i matter what do i want my day to look okay. like how do i say no so that mm. then the enaction enactment of it is sometimes saying no when you otherwise would have just said yes because you can right so I always say just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? <laughs> you know, you're allowed Absolutely. to say no. And Absolutely. you don't have to have a reason. People often think, and, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm getting a little wordy on this one, but like I really feel strongly about this, that, that people often think that, oh, well, I wasn't doing anything anyway. So I said yes to watching my neighbor's kids. Well, you know, but you were having a quiet Saturday and you're really busy all week. Like, why did you say yes if you didn't want to? Because then they'll come in and talk about those kind of things. Or um, I took, you know, taking a parent to a, a doctor's appointment, right? Maybe there was a different arrangement. Maybe you could have made it on a more convenient day so you didn't have to set aside like canceling maybe, you know, something that you were doing for yourself or seeing a friend. You know, I mean, it's it sounds like, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, how could I do that to someone else? And it's like, well, where do you fit? So you have to make sure you fit in your day. That yeah. you fit in your day. Mm. So I, I like think that, that was two. <laughs> so make yourself first. Talk to a, a licensed professional therapist um, somehow. And um, three, move your body, you know, and get enough sleep. Like the physical aspect. Take care of your physicality, right? Take care yeah. of your physical needs. Um, get, get rest when you need it. Um, people with, uh, like, you know, a history of trauma in the background often have dis disturbed sleep patterns. It's hard for them to get on a regular sleep schedule, but do your best to kind of figure out what works for you to be consistent and trying to go to sleep and trying to get up around the same time, no matter what day of the week it is. Um, and, and move your body because the physical exertion of even just walking around, um, you know, 10 minutes. And if you're not physically able, 
um, you know, um, talk to your doctor about like, what are the other things that would be possible to do? Um, can you use your arms to do something, exert yourself if you can't use your, your legs? Like I had a hip problem last year and I could, I, I lost my, my go-to coping me- mechanism. It's like wa- walking for miles by myself. And mm-hmm. I lost that for a few months last, last year. So it was hard to kind of manage my own stress. So, uh, but that's super important. Uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, then it's been over a year since we have recorded. So you went? Did you go through a name change also? Yeah. No, that's not. That wasn't you. I feel terrible. <laughs> I no. No. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking of somebody completely. <laughs> and I would, and no matter where my life takes me, there won't be any more name changes. I did that once in a marriage and I, I had to fight a court to get my own name back. So no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Then I have no idea. I'm so sorry. <laughs> totally wrong person. Wow. Oh, okay. Um, so with, uh, why did you decide you want to be a doctorate? In, mm-hmm. in therapy like why like, what's your story behind that like you obviously wanted maybe to help people so tell us about that I I did um so here's part of like the 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 trauma in my own life right so yeah. I grew up and I was I was like the family scapegoat I was getting uh physically abused by my mother since I was like six um that I remember and I left home at 17 with concussion and um and I remember taking my father to my therapist and I don't remember how I got connected to him or how long I was seeing him before I said dad you need to come with me to Dr. B and um I had had a previous um experience in therapy when I was 12 mm-hmm. where um I I knew who my mother's therapist was because it was the husband of my therapist I think I was okay. seeing the wife and she was seeing the husband and right before she went to, uh, and this is in the eighties and right before she went to her therapy appointment, she, uh, literally tried to break my arms. Like, and if you're using video, like she was, she had me down, uh, on something and was like trying to like knock my arms together and pull one over the other and try to break them. And oh, it was really? really bad and horrific and scary. And I called that therapist. I was 12 and I called the therapist and I said, I left a voicemail and said, I'm Joyce's daughter. I was still like hysterically crying. I'm like, she's on her way to your office. She always tells me that like, I'm the reason that, that she does this to me. She just tried to break my arms. Please, please help me. And she came home about 30 minutes later and said, oh, I'm done with therapy. The therapist said I'm fine and I don't need to go back. And so even telling that I have not really told that in detail in a long time. What um, It was, it, it, I was then like kind of fighting for my life for like the next couple of years. Um, and, and the rules are different now. I, I mean, now like CPS, I mean, like, you know, it's an immediate, it would have immediately taken all five of my mother's kids out of the house. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody did anything. Nobody and I know did. that that's what happened there. And so I was, so I didn't have a good impression of what a therapist could do or yeah. not, right? Why would you? Yeah. So I just, like, I was totally introverted, which I'm not now, but I was this introverted, quiet kid. I played the piano. So I locked myself all day at school in the piano practice room. I was competitive in that way. Um, I was very, very um, scared that, you know, of like what people, I didn't, you know, you wear shame around yourself at that mm-hmm. point because you think everybody sees that you're the person that even your mother doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And so why would they like you kind of stuff? But it wasn't registering that way when I'm like 13, 14, 15, yeah. but I was definitely an awkward kid and kept everything in. Um, I had a couple of friends and it's always like the kids, I, you know, like I was part of the misfits, you know, in, in high school, then you move into that. And um uh, you know, so you get through things, right? Like if things go on, mother keeps abusing me, all that stuff at 17. Finally, the last one is, um, she knocks me into the corner of my bedroom and I end up like running out of the house. I grabbed my purse, didn't grab my car keys. I couldn't take the car and like left the house, went to a train station, got to a friend's house and they took me to the doctor. And I, I literally had a concussion and, um, 
And so I ended up, uh, like I said, then going to my therapist. I must have seen him before. I don't remember any, but I only remember this like monumental session. And then I saw him again when I was like 28 for a few sessions to kind of check in. But, um, but he saved my life. I, I, I had already left home and my father was, um, you know, I didn't come from like, you know, people like kind of get like stereotypes of what like an abusive home looks like and who these yeah. people are and stuff. We were like really upper middle class. My dad was a lawyer who had a really booming practice. Uh, it still lives on now, even though he's been dead over a decade because his partner is still there. It's in New York. And, uh, you know, very like, you know, everybody thinks everything looks great on the outside kind of family. And I was the kid who was just singled out and uh, they called, you know, the family scapegoat. And, um, and I, I knew I couldn't go home. And that therapist said to my father, this, you know, big lawyer says, you know, Colleen is the smartest person in the family because she's the only one that sees that she can't live there or she's going to get killed. You know, she's, or she's going to die because either I was going to kill myself or she was going to kill me. And you were 17. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what was your parents' reaction to that? Well, he, so the therapist said, you know, Hey, like, you know, she's already out of the house. She was able to like stay at a friend's house. Um, I, I had like three weeks or four, no, it was probably about four weeks to graduation at that point, high school graduation. I was able to stay at a friend's house temporarily, but you know how things go. So he said, you just need to help her stay out of the house. Can you do that? And my Mm -hmm. dad knew, I mean, he knew he couldn't do anything about it. And that's his issue. Like I, I idolized my dad thinking he was my saving parent, but he wasn't, he actually was a non-protective parent. Mm -hmm. I loved him dearly and he wanted to be in denial and he wanted to minimize and he didn't see the, he didn't, he never saw the abuse that he would go, Oh, but you look okay now. And I'm like, Oh, Right. Cause she didn't like leave the marks or mm-hmm. she didn't bang my head this time as hard as she did last time, you know? And so, um, so I just knew I wasn't going to go home again. And, um, so he said, yeah, you have to help her out. So, so he did. Um, but you know how things, so, so in any case that was, I thought when I left that session, I got off track cause you get into those stories and you get lost. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So pulling myself back to where we needed to go. How, why I became a therapist because I left that session going, God, he saved my life. And not that I wanted to then like save other people's lives, but I, mm. nobody in 17 years ever listened to me. And there's this grown man who must have been in his like mid fifties at the time going, yeah, of course you need to be out of your house. Of course it's safer. You know, best for you. And I just thought, God, if I could do that for somebody else in the future, that would be great. Um, And so I, in the back of my head, wanted Mm. to be one, but I didn't do that for like over a decade because I lost myself in my twenties because I didn't, I was abused the whole time. I didn't have any direction. It was a big, um, my mother, I was a pianist and I wanted to be a professional, like an orchestra pianist kind of thing. And I was competitive and I was at that caliber. And um, I had piano, um, I had auditions for colleges because you had to audition to get in and you have to schedule them and qualify to schedule them like a year out. She told me, she she's since passed on also, both of the parents are, are passed on now. And, um, but she told me at that time, she said, yeah, she goes, why are you practicing it more? You know, basically she's like, you're not, she's like, I canceled your, your auditions. She said, to, you know, you said you, you quit piano. Cause of course she was, got into a fight and she never wanted me to practice at home so I said fine I quit Mm -hmm. all these years later I know that she didn't actually pick up the phone because she didn't have it in her to do it but she killed it for me she just squashed it and said I canceled them you're not going anywhere and so that was 10 years of my life at 17 years old and that was my identity so I know what to do so I floundered I did think that you know I got into, I tried every drug. I drank a lot. I did things. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that like, I, I came out on the other side at some point about 10 years later and, um, decided I just need to get away from everything and start over. Um, yeah. So, and so you were, and that's when you moved to San Diego, right? Yeah. From New York to San Diego. And so, okay. um, I drew, drove across the country the day after my 30th birthday 
and uh, planned it that way. I was like, I'm not, I'm not starting this next decade being connected to this family or, or to these people this close. And I'll say that um, by leaving New York, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we're, we're getting a lot of the personal stuff, if that's, if that's okay, because, yeah. you know, so my leaving New York, like systemically even kind of like helped me kind of understand the work that eventually led to my doctorate work. So mm-hmm. my leaving New York as the, the scapegoat, like escaped, right? Um, through my twenties, I mean, my mother has had since come around somewhat. My mother, I've determined at this point, I know my mother um, was anxious, uh, probably very, very like almost agoraphobic by the time she died, yeah. um, depressed, neglectful um, and had a thing to like want to sabotage any of us that were trying to succeed, right? So that was part of like why she said she canceled my stuff, but she was a broken, broken person that had her own trauma that she never dealt with. I, she would come around and go, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry, but she never became a nurturing mother. Mm-hmm. I was able to kind of like put on a different like a different way of looking at her and go, okay, so my mother and I see her is like, there's something broken in that part that's supposed to be nurturing. That's supposed to connect with like the people that you gave birth to and, you know, and, and want to love. And she just couldn't express it. She couldn't show it. And I turned out to be like, as the kid, I was the one who just kind of got the receiving end of all of the aggression that she had. Um, As an adult, she just kind of like, tried to make it better. And I, and I, I was able to have a relationship is what I wanted to say. Yeah. 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 Um, and how did you get there? how did you get to that point of that mindset change? Because I, I, I hear a lot of people, they, they talk negative about their parents because of that negative experience. Yeah. And it look, and what I find what really jumped out to me and why I wanted to interrupt you, my apologies, but it's okay. I'm worried. Fascinating part. <laughs> was um for me is how you flip the script in that yeah so how did that how did you do that yeah and that's something that i actually do um work with my clients on a lot now because they often come in with like difficult relationships with their mm-hmm. parents or that filter into how they are in their adult relationships because we always do those things so how i did it so uh, you know i like I said, like I was a mess in my twenties. I did, you know, I, I kind of always, well, I did, I always supported myself. So I always like made it somewhere to work. Right. And I had a consistent job, um, through my twenties, literally for my dad's office. But, um, but in the background, I was just like in a dark world, <laughs> I just did all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I get myself almost to the brink of, of, terrible you know like almost to the brink of like when if I keep doing this like next week I'm going to be a full-blown addicted to crack like I better get out of here you know and mm-hmm. I pull myself out I'd go to therapy and you know kind of just get back into physical stuff like physical fitness stuff but how do I change that so through my 20s through my early 30s because by my early 30s I really like resolved it within myself so much so that even like my best girlfriend from when I was seven, she'll still just be mad. I'm like, Jenny, like I, like that was a lifetime ago. She's ill. Like mm-hmm. I realized that my mother was mentally ill. Yeah. And um, so what did I do? She would keep kind of going. I was doing that thing that many people do. She would say, oh yeah, I'm really, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know any better. I'd say, okay, mom. And she said, well, how do I, how do I make up for it? And I'd say, well, I'd love it if you like called me every once in a while. I'd love it if you actually like bought me a birthday present every once in a while, sent me a card, you know, and acknowledge that. And she'd say, okay. And then of course she wouldn't do it. And, and at the time I would get hurt. I would go, oh my God, like literally like, I mean, she was still doing it. This is way after I resolved it, but like a classic example for how just like neglectful she was around the things that like I would do and I know she was this way about the other kids too um is that like I was in graduate school like I got my master's in two years but my doctorate took like four or five years after that so I was in California nine years pursuing a doctorate degree right on and off like the master's and then seven years I guess um with the doctorate um and the day I was graduating 
she had my sister who I now take care of call me because my mother would never pick up the phone and call somebody. I think it was her anxiety at this point. Um, but she said she had Susie call me and say, and I'm getting dressed for a graduation to go get my doctorate. And she said, mom wants to know what you're getting your doctorate in. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. She's asking what I'm getting my doctorate in. I'm already in private practice. What do you mean? <laughs> but but it doesn't hurt like I laugh at it because I'm like oh my god like really Mm -hmm. this so and 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 so that's how like like at that point it's just like tell her it's you know psychology it's just more it's just another degree and you know and tell her I'm I'm really just like like I'm you know I I I get that she didn't know but I really wish she would have called and asked me so awkward you know so anyway but what I did is I always tell people like you got to put on like like you're putting on different glasses you know you put on you know a different pair of sunglasses and some look blue some are yellow whatever you know when I would go and interact with my mother because I was done I was like I'm not going to keep bumping up against the same wall and thinking that things are going to be different it's that same ridiculous thing that everybody does parent says I'm sorry the kid says okay great can we do this can we have this they don't do it they go maybe next time maybe then 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 they start performing and this is what I used to do in my personal relationships you become a performer right you want to do everything to the best you want to be the best girlfriend you want to be the best you know at everything you want to be the best cook when you cook dinner you want to be the best you know the most funniest person in the room when you go to a social thing you want to do all these things you become a performer it was exhausting and I wasn't getting anywhere with any of the partners I was picking like and so Um, I was still feeling the same way that I was with my mother, which was like, oh, no matter what I do, I'm not getting like anything back that matches the energy I'm giving into this relationship. Mm -hmm. So then it was just kind of going well. And then as I, and I was studying, you know, certainly I was studying psychology through some of the change, like that kind of solidified it. But I was like, oh my God, like my mother has depression. Like she just goes untreated. You know, my mother has anxiety. That's why she doesn't call anybody. She's she's got mental illness and it's untreated. So, and when I say that, like, I looked at her as like emotionally broken, I'm talking about like, kind of thinking about connections in the brain. Like they're supposed to, we think like, and that's the tragedy of like everybody that gets born. We get told and then believe that like our parent is supposed to love and nurture us. They're supposed to make us know that the world is going to be okay. And that we're going to like mm-hmm. bounce back from things and stuff. And I just, you know, I did not get that parent, you know, and, um, and many people don't. And if we live thinking that that parent somehow is going to turn into the one that we think we were supposed to have, we are just destined for absolute disappointment. And mm-hmm. we have to just go, you know what? But my mother was a woman who then, then I looked at who is she, right? If I take out the, the, the parent that I wanted her to be, who is she actually? Then I looked at her with empathy. I'm like, oh, she's a woman who's lost all of her friends through her adult life. She pushed away her husband of 35 years finally because she was so mean all the time that she couldn't handle any, she was threatened by everything. And instead of addressing it, she would just lash out. So finally, after 35 years of marriage, my father left um, and uh, paired up with another woman and got married soon after the divorce. Um, And um, he didn't pick another one that functioned very well, either. This one was a chronic alcoholic, but she at least expressed a lot of love and feelings for my father. And he felt nurtured, even though the woman couldn't really function past two in the afternoon. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, and I say, you know, when people are untreated, that's just who they become to you, right? She was just untreated. So I know if I go visit, you know, she's not going to function, so kind of kick back and go, okay, well, the day ends when she starts drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so I, I, the empathy for my mother is how you do it, right? You, you have empathy for that parent. Who are they? They're isolated, alone. They're scared of the world. They, um, they had their own trauma, right? Um, I knew what some of my mother's trauma was um, and could go, oh my gosh, I could see how that would develop, that you would be scared that anybody would stick around if this yeah. happened to you. Um, and I looked at her that way. And then I go, oh, but she's really super smart. I mean, the woman should have been on Jeopardy. She didn't even have a high school degree because she left high school to go to secretary school because that's what women did back in the day, you know, and from where she was from. Uh, she also had was forced to give up a baby because the baby was 
from uh, from a, uh, a man that was black. And so I have yeah. this half black brother who now we have reunited with right before my mother died. He's now part of my life. And Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's really cool. And he looks just like me, but his skin is darker. Or I look just like him because he's my older brother. Yeah. And But my we have the same cheeks, the same kind of like nose and all these like cool. squinty eyes. And so we all look like my mom. And so, uh, yeah, and it's really wild that like I, I saw him and I was like, oh, my gosh, when I met him in person, I'm like, oh, my God you look, I look like you. And so anyway, but like she had that trauma, she didn't want to give the baby up, but she was forced to. And back then she was able, also able to like visit the baby for a year, which also then is terrible for the mother to have to let go of the baby at that time. Mm-hmm. So she'd go the, like back in the day, they called them the orphanages, right? It'd be a foster home now, but it was an orphanage uh, back then in the sixties. And, uh, you know, she'd visit the baby and every day, and have an attachment to him, her baby. And then after a year gave it up because he got adopted. Um, so yeah. she had all this trauma and I could go, oh my gosh. So she also though was resilient because she did, you know, she, she certainly <laughs> needed some help with it, but she did raise five kids and one of them was adopted into the family. So she kind of like, one was forced to be out when she didn't have a choice. And then when she was able to, she adopted into the family. So I have a brother who is adopted from birth and he's older than all of us. So um, he, I never knew anything different. So I'm really wordy. I'm sorry about that. In the end, it's I formed empathy for my mother. I could see her for who she actually is, both things that contributed to the symptoms that look like mental illness that were undiagnosed in her and the trauma. And then I also looked at, but who is she that I could like appreciate? And with if I took out, oh, but she also has to love and nurture me and solve my problems and hold me and tell mm-hmm. me the world is going to be okay. That's going to be a conflict. So I left that out of it and was able to just go, but this is who Joyce is. And Joyce was a woman who wanted to be liked and wanted to be loved and just couldn't because she just was so freaking scared of everything. So she ended up pushing it all away. And so that I could, I could get with and, and see her in that way. So now I teach people, I don't tell them my story. They can hear it all over the internet if they want. But um, I, I, I teach people that like, there's a way to like, who is, who is this parent? Let's look at, at what contributed to their personality. Let's look at what do you also see that you can pull out if they, if they don't have to love you and nurture you in the ideal parent way who are they? Because then you can appreciate who they are on the positives that they do have. Maybe they ran a business so that you can look and say, oh, they were really, they knew how to like kind of keep a business going. So they were smart. They could solve problems. They were stable in that way. You know, maybe they were like um, on the positive end of things. Maybe they um, were like a leader, right? Maybe they were able to kind of like be a community leader, even if they couldn't nurture people at home, maybe they were looked at as like nurturers in the community. There's a lot of like discrepancies and like who people are behind closed doors and who they are when there's trauma and when there's like pain in there. So you look at the good and the bad. Just maybe like everyone wearing different hats and you might be a good carpenter, but you suck at being an electrician. You might be good at cooking, but you suck at being a dad. Exactly. So that dad might have, like you might now live on, like his cooking might live on in a legacy in your cooking or stuff like that. And you go, man, my dad, like, you know, like I cook because my dad always cooked. He might not have been a a dad you'd ever go to with a problem. He might not have been someone that you ever went to when he was upset about something, but man, he could probably cook really well. Right. So yeah, you go, Oh, that's cool. And I got that from him. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So let's go back to when you were 17. Uh No, 12 years old, 12 years old. Because your mom. Yeah. That's uh, when your mom was trying to break your arms, wasn't she? So back to that moment or moments. And, you know, if you could go back to that younger version of yourself and give three tips of, like, advice, like, what do you think you would tell the younger version of yourself going through those moments? Yeah, this one's probably a little easier because, you know, I've gone through this. Um, uh, So uh, in no particular order, things that I would have told my younger self are, um, you are right. Like she's, she's 
like at the time she's crazy as the 12 year olds, right? I would, yeah. I would have endorsed that at 12 and said like, you're right, something's really wrong with her and mm. you'll get out, right? And just say like, like life will, like, and the thing is though, I always did know, like there was, there was, I was going to get out. I knew I would. Um, I didn't know how, but I knew I would get out. I knew I wasn't going to kill myself, but I got close, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, but I would tell her like life, life gets so much better. Like just stick with it. Like you'll yeah. find a way out and stick with it. Um, so trust your gut. That's the thing about like, you're right. Right. So trust your gut would be it. You know, um, life, life will get better. Like you'll get through this, you'll figure it out and, and you'll, you'll survive. Right. And then really joy life. Um, and the other thing is that, um, I wish I could have told myself, um, like to not be so hard on myself. Like I was really, really self-critical. Like I, oh, Oh, I, I mean, I was awkward. I, I didn't have a lot of say over how I dressed or what my hair looked like. And so never really looked way that I wanted it to and I was mm. tall and awkward and little chubby well yeah little chubby I thought it was a lot chubby back then and um uh but really I was just tall and awkward but when you're tall you end up wearing bigger pants because you have to go to the junior section instead of the kids section and so like all of a sudden girls get told you know oh you're big and like yeah. big was bad and it was like okay well I wish I'd known um that I was okay. Like yeah. I was just as, I fit in just as much as any other 12 year old. And I did not know that. Um, so I would have, I would have said, be kinder to yourself. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. So like, I know COVID fucked up a lot of things for people, but when you got some free time on your hands like what are some of your hobbies what do you like to do to enjoy life so you know i'm a therapist that works remotely so i have no free time now because of covid but um, <laughs> <laughs> um no i actually very much like to enjoy my life so um i get uh, um in the last probably six months i've adopted like getting up at five and going for like a three mile walk by like 5 45 in the morning i leave my place and i go out um i like to get like a like physical activity like that um i did have some physical limitations so ideally i would throw in some jogging but i can't do that anymore but a physical stuff i like going to the gym uh, i love the beach i was at the beach this morning we went for um the, the walk this morning was a destination walk out at the ocean um, and so, uh, so we did that and then laid at the beach for a little while, um, which I love. I moved to California so I could live in like flip-flops, short skirts all year long. Now they're like capri pants, but you know, uh, and, but yeah, like I, I just was a hot, a hot weather person. Um, so, um, what else do I enjoy? I, I mean, I, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy seeing all my friends when when, when we can and when, when things work out, but I'm very social. Um, I, um, very much appreciate the people that are close to me in my life. And so I, I definitely make them priorities when I can see them and things like that. Um, I'm into, you know, music. I don't play anymore. Well, I, I, I don't, I can play the piano still, but I just don't. It's not, I realized that was also a coping mechanism back then and it doesn't serve me today. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really fit for my life. Um, but I enjoy and appreciate all sorts of music. Um, and like to go see live music when, it, when, when that was happening, I saw like, I was at the, the last Fleetwood Mac concert that I think they'll ever going to do. I went to, and it's amazing. Um, and so, um, my only regret is that I didn't buy the super expensive ticket and be up front for it, but um, it was amazing. But so I love those kind of immersive experiences where you're just like, oh my God, this is awesome. Um, so I don't know, like that's what I like to do. Um, I could say that I read and stuff, but I have like hundreds of books that are like just piling up and I, I, yeah. And I, and I, I, I do so much Zoom sessions now that like that's what I do I do zoom and phone yeah. and FaceTime that like when people even like reach out through, <laughs> through emails and stuff I I have the time I'm like oh, I see it I don't even want to deal with it but I do I, I keep up with all of it but I try to get away and get out and yeah. breathe the air because it's easy to lose yourself and just be in the house all day yeah, so 
Yeah, but I, anything out to kayaking is something that we're um, getting back into this summer. We tried it out last summer, did it a few times. We're just about to start going again this nice. summer. Um, so yeah, awesome. I like I like all that stuff. Any anytime I can be in the water is good for me. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. So got a couple last questions for you. Sure. Okay. First off, on the internet, yeah. Where can people find you? Okay, that one's easy. So coachingthroughchaos.com is my website. You can see about my work there. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Colleen Mullen on Twitter too, but I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm more likely to be found on Facebook and Instagram. So um, you can certainly reach out to me there as well or follow me. That'd be great. Awesome. And then check out the few podcasts also. Oh, of course. Right. Coaching through chaos podcast. And you can find the, the, all of the episodes of that and shrink to shrink. Um, and for whatever reason on, on Apple podcast, shrink to shrink has no spaces in it. So it's shrink with the letter two and shrink. Um, and, uh, a little cartoon version of, of me and my co-host on the cover of that one. So got the right one, if that's what you're seeing. And that's the fun movie podcast. And like I said, as I come up with the name of this one, that's going to go as, um, part of like leading into why someone should trust, like wants, would want to trust me to like, you know, either buy the book or join my course or kind of, I haven't, I'm not a person who's done workshops necessarily, but like, whatever, it's going to lead into that. Like I want women to uh, feel empowered. So when we get the name of that podcast where I'm just going to tell the whole story that we, some of the things we were talking about today, yeah. uh, there's so much more. Um, I will let you know and we'll update the, uh, the as you said, update the, the post about it. I'll let you know the name of that podcast. All right. I love it. I love it. All right. So final question. Mm -hmm. What is your message to the world? <laughs> okay. Um, well, a general message is probably more the same that I would have told my 12 year old self is, you know, people are just so hard on themselves. I would say you um, you are more the reflection of how others see you than you see yourself. So you take all those things when people say nice things to you because you have people in your life and they're like, oh, that was great. Or you look really nice today. Or I really was helped by that thing that you did. Or I appreciated that phone call. Like, don't, don't second guess it. Be kind to yourself. That's, that's like leading into that. Be kind to yourself because we are too critical of ourselves I and that that can help anybody no matter what you're what you're dealing with mm, i love it i love <laughs> <Good>. it <laughs> love it well dr colleen mullen i'm glad that we got to do this again Me too. um yeah uh, this one is not gonna get lost this time so no. stay tuned guys thank you again for listening to the none of your business podcast and we will see you later <laughs>